0: Music cast. Now, here's your host, The Sly Dog. Hello, and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, The Sly Dog. I'm super excited for the episode we have today because there is something in my Zoom room, but it's not the ghost of a long, long dead affair. It's Brian and Sarah Lennon of the Permanent Record Podcast. How are you guys
1: doing? <laughs> we are fantastic.
2: Doing pretty well. You know, it's early in the AM, and yet I'm still picking up a lot of. Big sly dog energy radiating from your side of the country. I, I can't believe it. You're Bad. so powerful and potent, even at 7 a.m.
0: Yep, yep. I'm not. I'm not saying caffeine had anything to do with it, but
1: <laughs> as you take a sip
0: of <laughs> yeah. some, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sparkling caffeine water. Um, All right, but yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pumped today. We're talking about the other four guys from Liverpool: Mike Percy, Tim Liver, uh, Steve Steve Coy, and Pete Burns. Dead or alive um i've been super pumped to do this episode and brian and sir i know you have been as well uh we're going to do an album by album today and kind of go through the band's history this wonderful fascinating little slice of the 80s that kind of you know flamed out really quickly but made a lot of interesting music that doesn't get talked about so i thought it'd be fun to cover all the records from sophisticated boom boom all the way up to fan the flame part two resurrection so you guys ready to dive in
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm ready. You just gave me a flashback to the old days when I was a kid, and my dad would always compare my music to the Beatles. He would always say, this song's not going to be around in 100 years, but people will <laughs> still be listening to the Beatles. That was always his standard. And I remember it really, really got under his skin. And when I would refer to the androgynous uh, Pete Burns as part of the Fab Four from Liverpool, he <laughs> really didn't
0: uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I had that thought when I was getting ready. I was like, they're from Liverpool and there's four guys in this band. I'm, I'm like, no one made that connection. Someone should have made that connection.
1: <laughs> We've got to say it. it. It must be said.
0: Yes, it, it must. So let's dive right in. Um, as always, origin stories up at the top. So uh, Sarah, why don't you go first? How did you discover Dead or Alive?
1: Oh, pretty much the same way most people my age did <laughs> with,
0: uh, with You Spin Me round like a
1: record being on the radio all the time. And uh, I didn't have NTV at the time, so I didn't see the video right away, but I certainly heard the song. And I actually got more into them with their second album. Well, the third album, the, the second album that I knew, um, which was Mad, Bad and Dangerous to Know, came out in 86. And I, I bought a cassette copy of that. And if you know me... Um, at all, that was a big deal that I bought my own copy because I was constantly just c- making copies of of cassettes from people, <laughs> like <laughs> like this guy over here. So yeah, um, not a not a very interesting story, but a uh, pretty common one, and I have been a fan ever since.
0: Nice, I love it. So there was no backup of Mad Bad Dangerous to Know at your place.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, actually, yeah, because um, I had an actual copy. That it was in a backup right. copy, right? So, I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it was a first generation backup. Copy. Indeed. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. All right, Brian. Uh, for, what about you?
2: Man my my introduction to Dead or Alive. If you if I went back to Brian the night after he was introduced to Dead or Alive and said, you know what, in the future you're going to sit down with a slide dog and talk about this band for two hours, he would not believe it because. I hated Dead or Alive when I first discovered them. Oh, um, really? I, yeah, I still remember my friend Jason and I were sort of hanging out on a Friday night. And uh, we were watching like Night Flight, USA's Night Flight, which was a show that showed. Sometimes they showed weird cult films, but sometimes they showed music videos. And they often had a theme. And that night they were doing Night Flight Takes Off to Androgyny was the name of the show. And we were excited because we were big fans of Culture Club. So we were expecting to see some Culture Club on there. And we did. I seem to recall they played Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? But then all of a sudden, this terrible song comes on called I'd Do Anything with a bargain basement boy George with bad teeth, (laughs) and he was growling instead of singing, and we were like, oh my god, this is terrible. And so for about a year, Dead or Alive was this band that we just made fun of, and we didn't see them again uh, until about a year later when I put on Friday Night Videos, and all of a sudden, there was that same band singing you spin me around like a record and my jaw dropped because i was like this song is amazing and uh i remember my friend was on vacation that week so when he came back i said hey remember that band dead or alive and he was like yeah yeah they were terrible and i was like well listen to this and we both loved them then it was so weird and from that day on i've loved pete burns
0: that's incredible yeah that that those early videos are really really something like he's almost like he's almost scary in those early videos he's very aggressive
1: (laughs) yes aggressive is the key word yes for their early look and their early sound i agree
2: and in that video uh that i saw he has like black contact lenses in for (laughs) a a small portion of it which looked really really gruesome i thought Uh, i think it turns out in the book he said like he actually filmed the whole video with those black contact lenses in and the label made him cut most of it out
0: yeah multiple times in that book he brought up those contact lenses and multiple times he was made to like tone them down just like yeah like no you're not looking like a scary humanoid alien (laughs) it
1: (laughs) it is hard to tone down pete burns though let me just say
0: oh yeah (laughs) yeah that, that was very much the vibe i got of him the first time i saw him like as i always say i'm a little younger than you guys um, so I was watching VH1's Top 100 Songs of the 80s, and one of them was uh, "You Spin Me Round" by Dead or Alive. And I liked the song right away when I heard it. I thought it sounded like, you know, as a pop song, it's you know built around all these synths and keyboards, you know, Stock Aitken and Waterman. Hope I said that right. You know mm-hmm. that type of production, but it sounds almost aggressive in a way. Some of those like bass synths and stuff. It sounds, it, it sounds like a rock song to me, but you know with electronics. So I really liked it, and then they're showing clips of the video and talking about the song and they showed some newer clips of Pete Burns. And he was, it was like when he was on big brother and he's like a lot more outspoken and kind of a- aggressive and sarcastic. And I was like, Oh my. <laughs> like, <laughs> And yeah. also you can see from, you know, from the eighties, he was very undressant in the eighties, but then to go to like the mid two thousands, like where he's looks like a woman, let's be honest. Um, it, right. it was quite a change. I'm like, wow, that guy like must have, hell of a story and i wanted to hear more but i didn't you know i looked for their music for a while but i couldn't find it anywhere i grew up in rural north dakota it was like just not a thing there so um i kind of forgot about them as the years went on but i always liked that song it would pop up again when i was in high school and a song by flow rider called right round which i sent you guys Mm -hmm. um so that that hook kind of proved to be evergreen and then there was a a bit of a viral video prank that went around when I was in college called meat spin. Don't Google it. Um, that, that's all I'll say about that. Um, <laughs> but last year when I was really doing a deep dive into eighties new wave and stuff like that, I was like, I should, I should check out dead or alive because I love you spit me round. So I bought Youthquake off eBay and I put it in. I just fell in love with it. Like every song was perfect. Like I figured I'd like some of the record or, you know, the, the song you spin me around at least, but it seemed like every song was just immediate. It didn't take that long for me to learn the words or have the melody in my head. We just banger after banger. Just DJ hit that button. I want to be a toy. Um, my heart goes bang. Just everything just like hits you right away on that album. So I was like, okay, uh, now I want to hear Mad Bad. And I heard that one. And then that one really hooked me. And I think that record is a masterpiece. We'll talk about why later, but then I was like okay I'm gonna do the whole deep dive now and Brian you were very nice to kind of like help me along that road and like I, I remember asking you which copy of Nucleopatra to buy and uh, oh. talking, about, <laughs> talking about the first album and you took you hipped me to uh, fan the flame part two so yeah we, you've been my dead or alive friend for over a year now so I figured it like, it's time to do this album by album and give them give them some spotlight because I feel like they deserve it. They made a lot of good music, a lot of really catchy pop music that holds up, that deserves a light shown on it.
2: I think you're right. And, and I'm not surprised to hear that your local shops didn't have a lot of their music. I think that was probably a thing in most places in the U.S. because they had two pretty big hits. You Spin me peaked at 11 and brand new lover peaked at 15. But after that follow-ups always disappointed. And really the place where dead or alive would shine here in the U S was on the dance charts. They would all there's 12 inch remixes would always be number one records. So I think if you lived outside of like a major metropolis with a, a cool club scene, it was yeah. sort of hard to find those, those things. So, Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so shining, getting to shine a light on this music will be a treat. And also if I was your dead or alive, buddy, for the past couple months, you were also mine. Thank you. Yes, yesterday you sent me a link to an entire Dead or Alive concert from the nineties, which I had no clue was out there. Crazy! I can't wait to watch it.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of footage from that Nucleopatra tour, and it, it, it's interesting. Just Pete is just in full. I don't know, like just he's peak Pete, but he it's, they're in smaller venues, so I think he was a little more. Uh, I don't know, stripped back it back in a way. He's a little more raw in the in the, in those videos, so it's cool to see. That's cool. And I also want to do this because uh if you're listening to this episode on release day, uh Let Them Drag My Soul has just come out, which is a collection of early early demos by Dead Are Alive and some nightmares and wax stuff, which I am super excited for. If I'm sure right now as you're listening, Brian and I are sitting by our windows with binoculars going, Come on, <laughs> come on, <just> show <laughs> up already.
1: <laughs>
2: uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind so, of scared i'm kind of scared for this music because i do have like a bootleg of it of some of these songs from the old days and i remember them being really like gothic and horrifying sounding like it's not it's not the pop dead or alive but it's just exciting to have like a, a major it's three discs right
0: yeah there, there's like a nightmares mm-hmm. and wax wax disc there's a singles disc and then there's like a disc of john Peel stuff which has like uh De- dead or alive songs so yeah th- there is some- Peel. There's there's some dead or live stuff in there, but yeah, that first disc is all nightmares and wax.
2: Yeah, peel sessions are always fun to listen to for for any band, really. And um, let me just ask you because I pre ordered that album like a month or so ago when it was announced. I have no idea when it's coming out. What what day is the release date?
0: July twenty fourth.
2: Ah, okay. So we so we, you have about a month to edit all this together yeah. into a coherent episode.
0: <laughs> yep, I got a month to to, to put this all to get, together. So that'll be. Awesome. All right. But yeah, this is, this is going to be so much fun. So let's, uh, before we get into the band history and stuff like that, uh, I feel like we got to touch on Pete himself, the man, the myth, the icon. He really, I feel like he's such a big character. He kind of almost overshadows the fact that there's, there are three other band members there. Right. (laughs) And it really did become him and Steve Coy at some point. Like it was kind of like their, their project. Um, and it's funny, so I, I didn't grow up with this music. You guys lived through the eighties and you saw this stuff come out as it happened. Um and I watched a lot of eighties interviews with Pete and he was still kind of that, you know, sharp, you know, witty guy, but it seemed like he really once you move into the two thousands, he kinda of became even more outgoing than he already was. Like the I watched some of those eighties interviews and he's he's very quiet. He like he's sharp, but he's very quiet. So did you guys always get the vibe that he was this like larger than life? persona like i feel like if if he was alive today that like he would be a tiktok star because he's just such a character
1: oh yeah yeah i think that's true and yeah i mean even for all the androgyny and wild looks that there were in the 80s he still stood out right he was still kind of a a little bit of class apart from from the rest of those people so i didn't see a lot of interviews with him back then but i certainly know that he is very well known for um, sarcastic comments and, and you know, just always speaking his mind and and always being whoever he wanted to be, um, which is really, really cool. He was never afraid of that. I think he became even more comfortable with that as years went by, which, you know, I think that usually happens with people. So I think that's why you're seeing that transformation from like, yeah, just kind of subtly aggressive to outright. I don't care
2: what you think. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think you're right about the TikTok thing because that's one of the, the things about his development as a performer, because in the beginning he was a musician at the end of his career. I'm not sure I would classify him as a musician. I would say he's more a performer because when we went through our notes here for each of these albums, they were, they put out a lot of music in a very short amount of time. I sort of forget that, but those first three albums come out 84, 85, 86. And by the end of his career, they were releasing like five songs a decade. Um, (laughs) So I think you're probably right near the, you know, the last couple of years he was on Big Brother and he was on a bunch of other reality shows and he became like a British television personality and that's what he was known for way more so than music. And so I would not be surprised if you're, you're probably absolutely right. He would have moved on from TV to TikTok or something like that and just had a million followers for his pithy observations on everyday life as he walks down the streets of Liverpool with probably like a, a poodle on a leash <laughs> dressed up like a geisha girl or something going to the supermarket for crisps
0: yeah I I, tot- I could totally see that and what's funny is you talk about him being dressed up like that like I've read his book I got it right here one of the observations freak unique. yeah freak unique one of the observations he made like and this kills me because I don't know if I totally buy it is he's like I didn't dress that way for attention I dressed that way to look different i don't necessarily you know want people look at me it's just the one i feel comfortable (laughs) in it's like you sure pete (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's it's funny because like he also had that side of like oh this is just who i am like it's nothing special like yeah right
1: yeah but if you if who you are as an attention seeker then (laughs) then then then, yeah that all actually tracks very well
2: His other loves would tell you that he is nothing but a pleasure seeker, Sarah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, uh,
1: once, I really must agree.
2: <laughs> to get a good example of like young Pete Burns wit. Um, I remember there was a kind of like a, I think it was a PowerPoint presentation or something. What? It was like weird. It, it was uh, this thing that when he passed away a couple of days later, it popped up in the internet and you can kind of click through it and see different screens. And it was just Excuse me. When he was young and worked behind the counter at this Liverpool record shop or London record shop, I forget where it called it. I think Probe. it was Liverpool. Probe Records, Liverpool. Um, it's just a collection of people saying, like, I went in to buy this album, like a. ELP album and this is the this is what Pete Burns said to make fun of me as I was buying it and it's just like 10 screens of Pete making fun of people and what they want to buy it was really cool (laughs) I would have got if I lived in that town I would have traveled to get my records because I wouldn't want Pete to make fun of me the way he did those people
0: (laughs) I did I did have that thought I wondered like because like okay imagine myself in the early 80s and the music I like I'd be like buying the cars and Blondie and Ozzy Osbourne like like what what would be his response checking out those records? I have to wonder.
2: <laughs> I think he'd probably approve of that, Blondie. Yeah. He wouldn't give you a hard time for that. I agree.
0: Yeah, he he he'd probably he'd probably just be like, whatever about the cars that Ozzy, he'd be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Love Pete. Great, great character. I watched a lot of the big like compilations of Big Brother videos this week on YouTube and it's just so funny. Some some of his one liners are great.
2: <laughs> I've never actually seen those I know, I know from the book that there was some sort of controversy about, like, a he claimed that one of his coats was made out of a of gorilla or something yeah. like that. Oh my um, gosh!
0: It, it, I, I I could never get full clarity on that. I think it actually was, but it was like a vintage thing. Like it was, he didn't like buy a new gorilla gorilla for a coat. Like, someone, <laughs> like someone gifted it to him, and the like he said it was gorilla on TV show, and like the cops came and took his coat away. Cause, oh uh, wow because that was like illegal and like some girl on the show was trying to give him grief about it like you know like what well what if they killed and stuffed you and he's like well i want to be stuffed when i'm dead i want people
1: to <laughs> want <to> be... <laughs> oh that sounds about <laughs> and right she...
0: <laughs> and he's also like well well what do you want, want want to do with the jacket the gorilla's already dead it'd be ashamed like you do know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing what do you want to do burn it throw it away i feel like that's more res- disrespectful to the gorilla than than me wearing it <laughs> <laughs> so very he's, nice he's very pragmatic <laughs>
2: yep sounds like it
0: yeah but yeah pete what a character um <sighs> and also like you guys said not just a one-hit wonder we're gonna see today there was there was another u.s hits and i feel like there could have been more but i feel like him and his label were very uh adversarial as we'll discuss <laughs> um yeah i think you're right yeah because th- there, there there's little things like hints of this like again if you believe everything in the book it, Like, they really didn't have a lot of faith in Dead or Alive after that first album. So uh, let's uh, dive right in. Uh, So a little bit of band history. Formed in Liverpool in 1980 from the ashes of Nightmares and Wax, Dead or Alive would go through a number of lineup changes in the early years, but you could call the quote-unquote classic lineup Pete Burns, Mike Percy on synthesizers and electric guitar, Tim Lever on synthesizers, sequencer, sampler, electric guitar, and backing vocals. And Steve Coy on Drum Machine and Backing Vocals. That's kind of our uh, quote-unquote classic lineup. And then eventually we we'll would just become Pete and Steve. But released April 22nd, 1984, we get Sophisticated Boom Boom. go this is a little fun fact this album also also features wayne hussey of sisters of mercy playing some guitar on it so very cool Um, and the mission
2: the leader of the the band the mission who i've seen in concert
0: three or four times now i love them all right uh brian why don't you go first on this one uh
2: i started my notes for this with the story that i already told i already told about watching the video so let me just uh cut that out all right so this debut album i guess i think you're right this is the point Probably the only point where the label had faith in the band, and they actually hook up to record this debut album with a producer of some renown, Zeus B. Held, who I know from also working on an album we all like, Ben Without Hats, Pop Goes the World. He produced that album, but at this point in time, I think he was known for working with this very kind of off kilter experimental project called the Gina X Experience. And it seems like all these early '80s pop stars really uh, appreciate that album. I picked it up early in the COVID lockdown, and it is so bizarre. At first, I really didn't like it, and I listened to it every day for about two weeks until I trained myself to like it. So (laughs) (laughs) he was actually a a songwriting member of that band. Uh, He produced it, but he also was a keyboardist and songwriter. And that's how he came to uh, be known by everybody and became in demand in the 80s as a producer. So, um, And like you said, my other note, Wayne Hussey was in this band, uh, but seems to have left shortly before the album's release. Uh, and Wayne is one of my favorite musicians of all time. I'm a big fan of of the Mission, and I love his work. So it's really exciting to me that for a brief period of period of time, Wayne and Pete were in the same band. But let me ask you guys: this album, when I when I first got it, this was the second Dead or Alive album I purchased. And even though I had loved that Youthquake, this album did not impress me out of the gate. It took a while for me to like this one. What did you guys? Instantly uh, get sucked in by Sophisticated boo Um, I I
0: was I was definitely in shock the first time I heard this one because at this point I'd heard Youthquake, Mad Bad Dangerous to Know, and I think Nucleopatra as well. Um, so this one seems... Uh, I wrote it's a unique album in the Dead, Dead or Life catalog because it feels like it's less focused on pop songs and more focused on... It's meant to just keep you on the dance floor. There's not a lot of hooks... Uh, it's kind of got a funky flavor, and mm-hmm. it is kind of missing something. I think, like maybe in the su- like the Stock Stockman, Eggman and Waterman production, but it started to grow on me prepping for this episode because I went into it with a bit of a different mindset. I went into like, okay, this isn't supposed to be like Youthquake. This isn't supposed to be like Mad, Bad, Dangerous you Know. It's a different thing. And when I listened to it like that, it started to make sense to me. It's kind of like this aggressive, dancey version of Duran Duran that's how I see it
2: oh wow do you want to tell all the listeners uh, about who you forced to listen to this album
0: (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) so I I was doing some uh some episode prep this week and I went to the dentist um I took an uber ride and I had my headphones and my iPod and it's like hey you can plug that into the aux cord if you want which saying that to me is always like in a in an uber ride is always like it's a bit of a uh, bomb scare, if you will, because <laughs> I, I won't hold anything back. I've, I've like, I'll just put on what I'm listening to without thinking about it. Because, like, I'm just to me, I'm just used to this music, and I forget, like, oh yeah, when playing a song like Fuck Like a Beast might shock some people, like, <laughs> it, ha- it does not have that effect on you anymore. You think it's a catchy rock song, but to the rest of the world, this is abrasive. So, I uh, without thinking about it, like, okay, I plugged it in and I just hit play as I was listening to this album, and I was like. Oh, this is aggressively horny. This is like, uh, <laughs> aggressively
1: aggressive. horny. It, like, I love that term.
0: Yeah, it really is. Like, there's a song that where the lyrics, like, piece of something like, "I'm looking for a piece of black meat" or something like that. He's doing, <laughs> that he's doing that. In, he's doing that in that growly voice. I'm like, oh boy, uh-huh. <laughs> and I could see the Uber driver's face. And I, I was like, oh god, I, he's he's hating this, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not turning back now. Uh, just let the record play. And I think we started at like. Uh, We started at I'd do anything and worked our way up to all the way through sit on it on our trip to the dentist. And (laughs) when when I got out of the car, he's like, hey, thanks for the cool jams. (laughs) (laughs) A new convert, perhaps. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully.
2: I'd like to think I'd like to think that that guy is at the comfort of his own home right now. Just blaring the song. "Do It." (laughs) (laughs) Do it. Do it. (laughs) Jump to it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh you my god changed gosh. his
2: life for I,
1: I, i'm just i'm just like focused on that term aggressively horny that is so perfect i mean that's like pretty much heat
0: right his whole life right that, that's the whole catalog yeah,
1: yeah yeah aggressively horny i love that my my keyword for this first album would be rough and yes. i mean that in a many in many different ways because it is it's got a very rough sound um, not as, you know, slickly produced, uh, definitely more aggressive vocals. And yeah, it's just, it's just rough, right? It, that's, that's the thing I get from it. And, but I like it. And I don't, I don't think I liked it nearly as much when I first heard it because my first real full album that I listened to was Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. And talk about slick, glossy, you know just you know sparkling production and and th- this is excellent production but it's still just a very different sound and yeah the and and then still when we talk about favorite songs you'll you'll see that i'm still not like oh i love all these really aggressive songs mm-hmm. um it's just not me but but i still like this whole album i will still listen to it it's just i got to chuckle listening to some of it because it's just over the top you know it's just over the top ridiculously aggressively horny yeah it, it's, it's just so funny
0: sit on it sit on it yeah sit on it
3: sit on it yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. Uh. <laughs> oh man
0: yeah uh i will say one thing about aggressive pete he has a good rock voice like he if he if he wanted to he could have been in a rock band like he's got a nice vocal fry when he wants to oh definitely
1: yeah yeah when we talked about mad mad dangerous no i came up with these two terms for him and um because he exhibited both of them in that album i think on this one we see much more growly pete we've got growly pete we got sweet pete sweet and and growly pete is in full force here um i don't think we see much we don't see a whole lot of sweet pete i think we we see some full-throated pete here but um
2: I it's, think I think like Sweet Pete is sort of trying to come out in that last song. Yes, far too hard. But indeed. but Sweet Pete is just so under underdeveloped at that point in yeah. his career that it it's not quite the Sweet Pete. Yeah, you're gonna he's get, not quite dude. sweet enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. It was a uh, it was crystal light Pete. There yeah. you go. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: Speaking of that last song, I remember as a kid, I really wasn't convinced that was the same singer on that last song. Oh. Far too hard. Uh, I thought. For some reason, I had it in my head that it might have been Tim Lever singing that song. I don't know why.
1: Interesting.
2: I just sort of thought the voice looked like his picture. Some way, okay so, uh, but then i think it hit me in college like i was listening to it because in college in college is when i i finally sort of embraced this album pretty much everything except for sit on it which i still don't like and uh i i suddenly hit me like oh no that that is pete i can hear it like you can if you know pete you can hear it yeah it, and
1: yeah once you get familiar with his his voice and understand the, the kind of the changes it's gone through you can you can go back and say oh yeah yeah that's him
0: yeah yeah, that's actually um, far too hard. That's actually one of my favorites on the album. Um, I really like that song. It was kind that's of a great song. It, it's it's an interesting way to close it all out. It's like it's like you you've been through this like you you you've danced yourself to death, and then you've just got this kind of like nice slow moment at the end to end it all out. So, I that's probably my favorite song on the album. I also love uh, Misty Circle. I think that's great. I like their cover of That's the Way I Like It. I think that's fun. I do anything, and this is where Brian and I disagree. I think sit on it is just wonderfully fun. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so, it's so over the top. It
1: really is. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wonder what Wayne Hussey thought about that song.
2: I don't know. I, I, I think the that's verses. what they
1: didn't lead the band. Maybe.
2: <laughs> I like the verses of sit on it. I just, I don't like that chorus. Uh,
1: <sighs>
0: yeah. yeah, Those are my highlights. You got what What are yours?
2: Well, yeah, my favorite.
1: Um, I've kind of probably, Gave you a clue on that already was far too hard because it it is that's it's very sweet. I love the strings. I I really love the strings. I love how he sings in that one. Um, just very you know like full throated and and the and the subject matter is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's <laughs> like like he's so in love with himself. I, I mean, take a look at me. I could look
2: no better. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, wow. You know, as a teenager, you think, oh man, that 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 thought rarely goes into your head right but um my my second favorite would be that's the way I like it I I think that's a really really good cover and I can understand why that kind of started them on their chart success you know that was their best showing on this album for the UK singles chart it got all the way up to 79 (laughs) (laughs) but it was a start so yeah those are my two favorites
2: I would say my favorite from listen one, it's been my favorite from the beginning and still to this day, is the track Absolutely Nothing. and I I think the reason I immediately was drawn to it was because I was struggling with the record to find something that I could latch onto that sounded like Youthquake and to me that's still like the closest you do have a little keyboard riff in there and um, I think that's one of the more danceable tracks on the album and so that's probably why I like that one so much I also like the little production tricks in that one Um, like before the vocal starts you get some sort of like background sound of something that's sort of like a, a rush of air that leads into his his vocal starting it's like a neat effect almost makes him sound sort of like a jet engine oh yeah kind of warming up <laughs> so i kind of appreciated that so yeah that that would be my favorite and they always i like everything i didn't in the old days i didn't like do it i thought that was silly but i love do it now so the only thing that at this point in my life i don't fully appreciate is that chorus on um, "Stay on it oh hey does anybody think that um you make me wanna is supposed to sound like culture club with those Hmm. Oh. female background singers and like the horn line
0: I never that's a of... very
2: good question
0: that, that's a, that's let's see, that is yeah i can see that that's the one i was referring to that's the one with the black meat line in it <laughs> yeah yeah
2: you're right <laughs> yeah. but like yeah, even I... the melody of it sounds I'm walking up the road yeah yeah you and me like it's different yeah. than like, other songs right
1: like, yeah, and- it's, it's it's probably the most like poppy thing yeah. that's on here, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just have, I, I don't know. I've always sort of thought that was an attempt to appeal to Culture Club's audience. It's just that yeah. his, his, voice is, it- his voice is not as smooth and sweet as Boy George. So I think it's going to not win over the Culture Club fans. And it's going to make the Dead or Alive fans say, like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs>
4: what
0: are you doing? Yeah. 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 This is an interesting album. So one thing I thought I would do... That i don't usually do is i thought i would give uh one of the band members a chance to have some input so i've got pete's book here and i marked out each section where he talks about ah, cool the albums we're talking about so uh what did pete have to say about sophisticated boom boom was i happy with sophisticated boom boom it was an event there were no gaps that was the most important thing to me it was all hard metal and the next thing you know new order were sounding remarkably similar production and sound it was great yeah but song-wise no what I want was great. It still so so I still starts. Sets with the twelve inch version. That song to me, the whole sound of the sequencers and all the reverses on the vocals and the big note on the big note, that was one take. There were no dropouts on that. Zeus was like, God, you can sing. He was so into it. I'd do anything was just fantastic. I don't think I'll ever top those two pieces of work, especially the lyrical sophistication of I'd do anything. If I died, they'd be what I want to be remembered for. So this was Wow. Pizza. Pete's favorite
1: album, and that's yeah. high praise. High. This sad, and Brian referred to this earlier. Like the first album that you did, you know, you had a career for you know, twenty years on, and you're you still think your first album was your best. I felt bad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, like, what were you missing the rest of your career that like didn't quite measure up to this one? So, so, so strange. Yeah.
2: I think there was something in that quote that that I picked up on when I perused the book last weekend just to get ready for this, I didn't read it, reread it completely, but um, you said something about uh, that. He proved he could sing or something like that um, by recording and releasing this album. I think there was a story like on when they were nightmares in wax or even before where Uh, and Brody, the guy from lightning seems working with him. And he, he told Pete that Pete couldn't sing. And uh, I think that gave with Pete being so, competitive and aggressive like i think that really drove him to get this album finished and and released because i don't think pete liked to be told that he couldn't do something
0: right i will say that one thing i also read in the book is that pete pete didn't have the voice he wanted and what i mean by that is pete wanted to be like he, he mentioned sylvester but i didn't i never listened to sylvester so i don't have a reference point but he wanted to sing like a high falsetto type of thing kind of like like think prince on kiss like that's what he wanted to sound like but mm. he, he, he just doesn't have that voice he has this kind of like deep full baritone type of thing going going on with 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 like a limited range but what pete make, doesn't have in range he makes up for in personality and sometimes that can carry him more than having a million notes in your range can yeah,
2: that makes
1: sense. Hey, I just realized I made a big mistake earlier when I said um, that's the way I like it. Got to 79. That was I'd do anything and I need to, to correct that. So that's the way I like it.
2: Got to 74.
1: Um, No, it oh. got to 22 on the UK singles chart. Oh. It got to 28 on the U.S. Billboard Hot Dance Club play. So that was a much better entrance into the uh, the UK singles chart than. Um, what I want, which got to 88. And I'd do anything which got to 79. Yeah, that's the way I like it was their kind of breakthrough hit in the UK.
2: Okay, cool i'm glad you were uh able to catch that in time so you correct yeah. yourself and didn't have yeah i don't the want internet correct you
0: i yeah i had to <laughs> i had to fix that <laughs> it would be like the second it would be the second time in my life i've ever got like a like a negative response to one of my yeah episodes. like <laughs> why'd you have
1: these fools on i don't know anything <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it'll be like the second like the first time was joe jackson and then this will be the second one <laughs> so
2: you're doing pretty you you're doing very well if you've been on for as many years as you have and you've you've this would be your second complaint that's pretty yeah, good
0: yeah like so- someone accused me of being too hard on joe's classical work but the episodes were called joe jackson the pop years of course i'm not talking about his classic work <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't well, tell why. the
2: guy tell the guy you'll give him his money back
0: yeah <laughs> yeah like the, enjoy this content that you didn't pay for <laughs> <laughs> Sophisticated boom boom, interesting album. Not my favorite of theirs. Uh, I'd probably put it somewhere towards the, the lower end of the, the records I enjoy of theirs, but it's interesting. It's a, it's not a boring listen. It's a fascinating listen. So, yeah. And it's that, still my
2: favorite cover album cover of Dead or Alive's all their albums. I like this sleeve the best.
0: Interesting. Do you know what inspired it?
2: Yeah. I do not.
0: Uh, Kate Bush's Lionheart album.
2: Oh. Uh,
0: yeah. If you actually have that. Within grabbing distance. I never knew that. You can kind of see. Oh s- yeah. Similar vibe going on.
2: Yep, very true. I guess they were uh, often influenced by other bands and artist album covers because we're going to yeah. mention that with uh, Mad Bad and Dangerous to Know. I'm sure. Uh-huh.
0: Oh yeah, and and the, and the follow up. Uh, but the label label was not impressed with the performance of that album, and from what I read in Pete's book. Uh, They had to finance the recording of their next single, um, which was Spin Me, of course. But once that took off, they were quickly rushed into the studio to record Youthquake, released on May 3rd, 1985. entry point and i adored this album i think this is a perfect 80s pop album and very underrated 80s pop album every song on here is so immediate pete has found his voice he's able to go between sweet pete and um growly pete i'm gonna use those terms now
1: (laughs) (laughs) why not (laughs) I'm, i'm
0: adopting those um and it's it's energetic it's sexy it's aggressive it makes you move This album is just bursting at the seams, and I love it. So I I have a lot of high praise for this album. Uh, Brian, what do you think of Youthquake?
2: I declared Youthquake to be one of the 10 albums that uh, changed my life and set me walking on the musical path that I would go on to tread. So there are very few records that mean more to me than Youthquake by Dead or Alive. It's not their best album, but it's my favorite album by the band. So this this is one I could not do without.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I thought your favorite would be Mad Bad.
2: Nope, that's their best album, though. <laughs> this is all very contradictory.
0: <laughs> Sarah, what do you think of Earthquake?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, this is an excellent album. Like you said, a perfect slice of eighties. Um, yeah, I dig this one a lot. Uh, it's it's definitely in my top, like probably three or four. I, I'm not I'm not willing to say which one, which number.
2: <laughs> three or four of all Dead or Alive albums, is that, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. So it conceivably, could be four. That shocks me. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what three you would put before it. Huh. I don't know. I guess I'll have to wait and see. Okay.
0: That, that will be interesting. Yeah. So we also have joining us on this album, we have the production team of Stock, Aitken, and Waterman. And I wish I'd done a little more research on the, on them because I know they were a bit of a big deal in the 80s. Uh, they even worked with a band I've I've loved for years. They did some songs with Judas Priest that Are you serious? Yeah, unfortunately they've they've never seen the light of day. Uh a little snippet of one of them has leaked, but they did three songs with Judas Priest in the late 80s.
2: Oh my god, I had no idea.
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, cuz Rob Halford's a big uh, Kylie Minogue fan.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that somewhere in my notes I have like Introduction of the Stock and Waterman production team who are responsible for so much terrible music in the 80s, including <laughs> Kylie, who I love, but I can't listen to her Stock and Waterman years. Like, I I mean, I really remember at the time being very sensitive to anyone who would call Dead or Alive a Stock and Waterman band, because to me, they needed to be separated from the rest of the Jasons and the Kylies because Dead or Alive were writing their own songs. So I was desperate for some way to set Dead or Alive off from all those other bands that I thought were terrible. And that's how I did it. But yeah. Um, I'm trying to, Oh yeah. Rick Astley, never going to give you up. That's, that's a, a good stocky and Waterman song. In my opinion, I still listen to that occasionally, but so much of their music is unlistenable. That's, but, it,
0: it, that's <laughs> interesting because like, like I said, my knowledge of them is very limited and to hear you say this. So, so were they known for more doing kind of like a, i guess you could say production line pop like like let's just get a pretty face and then we'll write them a song and it'll be good yep
1: yeah they likened themselves to motown actually you know and the the hit factory kind of idea where they would put together songs and um just have you know artists perform them right it was it was not necessarily a, a collaborative effort like like it was more with dead or alive or they tried to make it more like that and that of course led to uh kind of contentious results.
2: And you could always tell a song song by you know how you can always tell a Jeff Lynn produced song?
0: Mm-hmm. You can always tell a Jeff Lynn production, my guess is because it's very dry and the drums are up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
1: there's just a certain sound that he always has. Yeah. And that that's the same with Stock and Waterman. You can just tell there's that's kind of that galloping drum beat and yeah. Uh, it's the the Lynn right it's the Lynn drums because a lot of times their albums would be credited to A um, oh, Lynn really? the liner notes would say A Lynn for the drums and it's, <laughs> it's the, it's the Lynn drum machine
2: but I thought they did a good job working with Dead or Alive like I don't think that the Dead or Alive sound on Youthquake sounds remarkably like SAW
1: no and it's, it was early on in their career
2: too yeah, I think, as far as wasn't You Spin Me wasn't that, that their first yes. number one pr- production correct okay
0: interesting yep. well th- they should have stuck with that that if that's if what you're telling me is like the truth because like i love the sound of this album and like i said earlier i think of you spin me around like a record it's almost like a rock song the keyboards sound aggressive to me on that song like the line sounds aggressive like i i can't think of like you know they're a pop group but there there's there's some there's some there, there's some, there's some there's some oomph there so it's interesting yeah. that they became kind of like you know bubblegum in a way because there's a lot of cool interesting stuff going on on here i think you know songs like spin me like dj hit that button my heart goes bang it's been a long time they all have this interesting sound to them so uh, it's it's kind of sad that they didn't carry that over or like collaborate with someone else of of that stature to do something cool and maybe the the priest tracks are like that i would love to hear those but um uh, probably good luck getting those out of the vault. I'll probably be stuck with that like one minute sample of their "You Are Everything" cover.
2: <laughs> when what year did they do that? Did Judas Priest do this? 1988. Oh my God! Wow.
0: Yeah, I think we can all safely say we love this album. I think my favorites here are, are going to be uh, other than "Spin Me," um, I like "I Want to Be a Toy" a lot. DJ hit that button and. My favorite, I think, is going to be My Heart Goes Bang. Just incredibly catchy. I love pizza vocalization. Get me to a doctor! <laughs> oh, My yeah. heart goes bang, 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 bang. So cool. I wrote uh, Lover Come Back to Me. That's also a great, great song. To me, there's not a bad song on here. Perfect album. I even love the uh, seven minute. It's been a long time. I think that's a great closer.
2: To me, that one sounds like it could have been on Sophisticated Boom Boom.
0: I agree. I I could see that. Yeah.
2: Like even with the stock, I'm not even saying just the song, uh, the way it's written, the way it's also produced. Like I think they could have just transferred it over there if they needed to. SAW didn't change it too much from their their sound.
1: Yeah, I would agree there. Yeah.
0: Brian, you're, you're, what are your top top tracks?
2: Well, my top track, if I'm being honest, my top track, Pete would hate to hear this, but my top track is You Spin Me Around Like a Record, which I've declared to be the number three greatest pop single ever released. Ooh. Although it's not my favorite Dead or Alive song, which makes no sense. Um, <clears throat> but if I had to pick a song other than that one, I would probably pick in Too Deep. I've always thought In Too Deep is a great tune. And I know that um, one of the guys from SAW felt very strongly that it was not good, that it, it deviated too far from the sound that people expected from Dead or Alive. But maybe that's part of the reason why I like it. I always thought that it was just a catchy pop song. any shame about enjoying pop music so not at all it's fine with me
1: no yeah i mean if if you don't pick you spin me around like a record as your favorite track on this it, it, i'm i'm want to meet you and talk to you about that because <laughs> i'm like how have, how do you not pick that as your favorite song so given that you know it's just an iconic 80s song and just awesome um my second favorite would be lover come back to me i'm very boring because i basically picked all the singles i picked lover come back to me as my second favorite i picked my heart goes bang as my third favorite i picked into deep as my fourth favorite and then i was like well you know i'm I'm picking all the singles i should pick a fifth favorite just so i can show it's like what what album track do you like the best and so i picked cake and eat it Mm. oh wow as my fifth favorite yeah i think that's a lot of fun nice
0: Mm. i think it's time we had pete jump in here um all right with two points first how did I write Spidme? I listened to Luther Vandross's I Wanted Love. It's not the same chord structure, but then that's the way I mean, Then again that's the way I me- make music. I hear something and I sing another tune over it. I didn't sit and study the Luther Vandross album. I heard the song and it was locked. But if you can play an instrument, what am I good If you can't play an instrument, what am I going to do? I'm trying to structure music and I know what I want. I can't play a damn thing and I don't want to. It's like to do this, to do this, do this and suddenly it hits. I don't want to do Luther Vandross's song, but I can sing the pattern over it. And it was a hit. All of a sudden we had about three weeks to record an al- album. Youthquake was shit, but the remixes were great. My Heart Goes Bang and Lover Come Back was a good song, but then listen to the album, it's crap. Peter Waterman's, uh, sorry, Pete Waterman's approach was get a single and then we'll remix it. And he was right because the remix songs that are for singers, singles, they were great. As an album, it was dire, but it's in a great package mario testino's first non-fashion photograph so it's a shite delight isn't it <laughs> <Shite> delight. <laughs> uh. too funny so so crazy to hear him say that because yeah we, we just gushed over this album we love it and peach just like oh awful
1: <laughs> i know
0: <sighs> so crazy and like i said the label really like kind of rushed that one out and it's interesting you think the label would have learned after this like Maybe the artist knows what they're talking about, but as we're going to see moving into the next one, that's not really the case, but this record went gold in the US. Um, I love this record. It's fantastic. Uh, Maybe to Pete it seems rushed, but I think it's a great record. So up next, I'm sure everybody was wondering, what are they going to do next? Well, things can only get better from there. Uh, Released November 21st, 1986, we get Mad, Bad, and Dangerous Snow. (laughs) a super fan you guys did a great episode on this as i always tell pe- people check that one out um but this locked me in hard as a super fan and made me deep dive the rest of the catalog it's i feel like the band's being super creative you hear shiny synths but also low burbly ones there's a nice healthy dose of guitar on this album which is interesting it, i did not expect that when i first bought this one um and just the songs just feel like bigger and grander than ever this is their shiniest prettiest album But it's also, I think, got their best songs. Um, I think Pete has figured out what kind of singer he wants to be. He sings a little softer, this less growly Pete, uh, a lot more sweet Pete. Uh, But when he does do growly Pete, it's very dialed in, like at the beginning of Son of a Gun. It's very deliberate and very on point. I love it. Um, I'm surprised this album wasn't bigger. Uh, there's a lot of great songs here and everything is well produced and everything's absolutely catchy so yeah i love mad bad dangerous to know uh sarah why don't you go first this time
1: all right yeah this this is a album that's near and dear to my heart um as i mentioned already this was one i actually owned back in the day so i've had a long and beloved history with it i i think it is their best album i think that it's the best produced. It's just got a very lovely flow of songs. They all sound good. They all work well together. Pete's voice is in um, excellent form. And I like that you mentioned his con- kind of control of his growliness. Yeah, he's still got aggressive sounds here, but they are much more under control and not um, not overwhelming. So he's found a way to still get those emotions across, but without a lot of... Um, as as much aggression so I think this is a an excellent album every song on here there's nothing on here I would skip um I'm I'm disappointed like you that it didn't get do better in the United States or even in the the UK I mean it only got to 27 that doesn't seem very good for the UK and in, in the US it got to 52 you know that's pretty sad Finland gave it a lot of love got to 14 in Finland uh, really? <laughs> yeah which I thought was really really interesting but yeah, this is an awesome album. Um, are we doing favorite tracks now or want to uh,
0: we'll, let Brian talk? We'll let Brian talk. Then we'll do right. favorites and stuff like that.
2: Okay. I already said that this is their best album. So uh, I won't focus on that. I'm going to focus on the fact that this didn't do as well as I think we all feel that it should have. That has been a, just a, a quandary or a, a question to me for my whole life, because this came out in 86, I can't think of a record that sounds more like 86, like this. The sound of this record should have been killer at the time. And Brand New Lover is a huge hit here in the US, 15. But the follow-up, Something in My House, doesn't go anywhere. In the UK, Brand New Lover is a bomb. And Something in My House is the song that wins over the public. That becomes a hit over there. But then they're not able to follow it up. I don't know what was going on. This band was doing everything right for 1986, in my opinion. This is... Easily, in terms of songwriting, their best album. They're making the songs sound much fuller and more radio friendly than Youthquake. Like Youthquake, I'm not surprised that they didn't have a super strong radio follow up to You Spin Me Around Like a Record because those songs, even though I love them, they sound like dance songs or they sound more of like experimental electronic music. This sounds like a top 40 album to me. So it has always been it's always stuck in my crawl that they could not anywhere seemingly have a second strong single off of what is their best album.
1: Yeah. And let's talk about the videos too, as far as, you know, the video presence being so important back in that day. And these videos are phenomenal and they should have been played all the time and, and definitely got them more listeners and more airplay and more album sales. I don't know. They, like you said, they're doing everything right here.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, well, In the book, doesn't Pete sort of blame his performance in the video for something in my house for sort of like killing his career? Doesn't he say something like, the public didn't like my comical way of peeling a banana and I I sabotaged our career or something like that?
0: He says something to that effect. He kind of blames like yeah he deep throats a banana in the vi- video he definitely gave that banana some head um <laughs> <laughs> but like i think it was a combination of that and also like just again butting heads with a label the label didn't want to make brand new love lover the first single they wanted something else but he did and it beca- like i said it became a hit in the u.s but i think you know this is before you can kind of do your own self-promotion there's no social media you're at the mercy of the label as your promotion machine so I can't help but wonder if the la- if the label just got fed up with like him just being like you know no this is the direction I want to go in and they're like no this is the direction you need to go in and just kind of became like a cat and dog thing and maybe there was a little bit of a sabotage going on there because I I definitely think there there are hits here on this album there are great songs on this album stuff that should have been on the radio but like I don't think like necessarily like a controversial like banana Dick joke is gonna like end their career,
2: so. yeah, now, I think that in those videos, I noticed this while watching them yesterday in each of these videos, Pete is over the top and and this is sort of where we get him first starting to let the public know through the videos that they're appealing to the gay audience, like I'll save you all my kisses. There's a dozen guys on the other side of a chain leak fence chain link fence trying to get to pete as he's walking the catwalk and stuff um you know so it's all men trying to get to pete and um he deep throats the banana but in each video there's there's always a section where he rolls his eyes or makes an expression that lets you know like even though you've seen me for the past four minutes be you know an aggressive performer completely over the top i realize this is funny
1: like, yeah, it's sort of like his nod and wink to the audience,
2: yeah. right? Yeah, it, he's it, kind of like, uh, I love that he does that. Like, yeah. it's the it's the second where you can, regardless of, of your sexual preference or, you know, even if you're the most shy person in the world sitting in at home watching this powerful personality, that's the second that you're able to connect with him. And uh, so, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know what he,
0: that's that's well, he could have done. That's a good observation, Brian. I have to give you give you props. I think, I think he was very aware of how over the top it was. So yeah. Oh yeah. And I maybe that was also to his detriment in a way because I the other thing I read about if we're talking about there's something in my house like the 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 single sleeve people found that a little controversial because there's like a quote unquote satanic altar on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Got the upside down cross and everything, but but Pete's not. pete's Pete's not a satanist he's just he's just playing the whole thing up he's he's being as over the top as possible
2: right pete wanted that single to be released for halloween like it was intended to be a halloween and then his fighting with the label prevented it from being released until december i think so uh yeah yeah. it's definitely not a christmas number one but uh (laughs) (laughs) did you hear that remix did you hear the um the triple x remix with the stuff the exorcist, from The Exorcist, the samples.
0: Yeah. I was on the floor <laughs> because <laughs> they kept looping the line about stick a cock in her ass. <laughs> Just, I, was, yep. I, was like, like, I figured like, okay, once is funny, now we'll get something else. But no, they kept doing it over and over again. It's <laughs> <was> like, okay.
2: <laughs> they wanted to make sure no one missed it.
0: Yeah. Just like, like we're <laughs> going to really hit this point home. <laughs> um, <laughs> one, one other thing before we do favorites and let Pete uh, weigh in on the situation is this album cover. Yeah, inspired by Beauty and the Beast. I, I like it, but tell me if you guys agree with me. This this package here does not necessarily feel represent representative of the music contained here, and I feel like this should be more dark wave or, or like Sisters of Mercy ish. It should it shouldn't be as bright and shiny as it is.
2: Oh yeah, without a doubt, it's it's uh, quite a photographic misnomer, a mislabel of the music. I've always, I've always read that it was inspired by the, um, the dams album, phantasmagoria. Yes. Uh, which came out, I think like two years earlier, give a quick Google to that. If you don't know it.
0: I will do that. Oh, Oh, I definitely see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which even, totally shocked me. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. that That's interesting. Wow. Cause yeah, Wikipedia says it was inspired by like the uh, old French beauty and the beast. So, yeah, I, okay. diff- I even the even the back sleeve of this album is very uh, very reminiscent of the Dead or Alive album. So,
2: yeah, well, maybe the Damned was inspired by Beauty and the Beast, and
0: That's then, possible. So you
2: know, yeah, ultimately I, they both were. I don't. Yeah, know. maybe. Do That's you know uh, it was Youthquake inspired by anything?
0: That I'm not aware of. I'm okay. Not aware of. Yeah, but that, it, it's very interesting, um, but fantastic album, uh, wonderful stuff. And one thing I want to say about a video actually is uh brian you like this the video for brand new lover something about it like all the cowboy themes and kind of like the western motifs i'm like this could be a video for the cult this could be like a cult video mm -hmm. like watching yeah yeah so so, yeah and also one one last thing on brand new lover before we obviously it's a favorite of mine but i won a round of i'm playing uh the music league with john lamoreau right now and there was a round called uh they weren't just one hit wonders and mm. this was my pick. Uh, I picked brand new lover because it got to 15 and it's the only time I've won a round in the league with one of my picks with <laughs> that song and all the uh. comments and all the comments were like, Oh yeah, this is great.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Good for <laughs> you for re- like helping people remember this undiscovered or, un- or this forgotten gem. Oh, Good yeah. for you.
2: Yep. Can, can I have 60 seconds to tell you a brand new lover story before oh, we yeah. do the, uh, Yes. Song? i just sort exactly. of remember this i remember when this song came out i knew it was out because i used to read billboard magazine I, and i hadn't heard it yet but i knew that it was out so i would call our local top 40 station wink 104 and i still don't think that they really took requests but it must have already been on the schedule to be played so uh the guy did play it but i was ready to hit record on my, ju- or on my jam box and get a copy of it but this kid who lived up the street from me who was really annoying uh, i went upstairs to get a drink he came over and knocked rang our doorbell and my boom box was downstairs i heard the song come on but i was trying to act like i wasn't home because i didn't want to talk to him so i couldn't <laughs> run past the door to get to the song i had to wait till he went away so i missed the first half of the song <laughs> and as soon as he walked away i ran downstairs and hit record so for about a week i only had the second half of the song that I just played over and over and over and i still remember that at the end of the song the um the dj came on and this was actually a dj who seemed to like dead or alive he played them quite a bit actually on wink 104 but he said that's the latest from dead or alive brand new lover it sounds just like their last song but with different words
1: <laughs> oh, i love it <laughs> uh, stock egg and wondering for you right <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah. my gosh
0: yeah. my highlights obviously brand new lover that that ties with uh something in my house as favorites like those, those two are perfect i'll play either of those Here. um i also love save you all my kisses i love the line my kisses are exclusive no one can afford them i think that's awesome um son of a gun is wonderful um i have no idea what a silver bullet in your ear is um i know oh uh, yeah think, that i've I always
1: think, wondered that
0: uh, the only thing i came up with a very crude thought about what that could be i was like is pete jizzing in some guy's ear is that what that is <laughs> um <laughs> that that's all i could think of there <laughs> Uh sorry to put that image in your head, but that's what I thought I, I thought of. Uh special stars, great and uh I'm inside, I like. Uh yeah, those are my my highlights. Um uh, what about you, Sarah?
1: Yeah. Oh well, just a, a note on the silver bullet in your ear. I think when we talked about this album before, I was like, Well, maybe it's a very subtle reference to Lust for Life. I never had it in the ear before. But uh, I don't know. Um, but my favorite song on this album is I'll Save You All My Kisses. I just love that. That's Sweet Pete right there. I'll tell you, it's it's just a lovely little song. I, I think that's wonderful. But my second favorite is Brand New Lover. My third favorite is Something in My House. And then my fourth favorite is Then There Was You, another Sweet Pete song. just so just lovely and delightful
2: (laughs) i remember thinking at the time that then there was you or come inside both could have been handed off to madonna to record and that they would have been pretty good madonna tracks oh oh yeah but um yeah this was the time period for dead or alive where they had the most amazing 12 inch singles and um i was probably never more excited to to get like the most the latest and greatest remixes of a band than I was at this point in time with dead or alive. And the one that was over the top. Awesome. That just took a great song and made it even better is my number one song in this album. And that's hooked on love. their most aggressive most most uh awesomely dance floor ready tracks and that 12 inches is is even better in fact my favorite part of watching that dismal lip-synced concert from um japan was when the very first song they came out and this is what they opened with hooked on love and it's such a good performance even though it's you know he's just lip-syncing it but um this is uh hooked on love is almost my favorite dead or alive song it's not quite my favorite uh We'll talk about that one on the next album.
0: Nice. Very, very nice. Good picks. Um, well, Pete's got some words to say here. Uh, oh, one, one thing real quick. You, it's funny you mentioned Madonna because um, I read in the book he also they got offered the opening spot for the Who's That Girl tour and they turned it down because Pete's uh, mom had cancer and he wanted to be with her. So, oh. yeah. yeah. But you, you you wonder if situations have been different, what trajectory would their career have taken? <laughs> Uh, yeah i know back in the uk i started the album mad bad and dangerous to know with stock aiken and waterman and everything was going okay but they were getting very very busy and going off in other directions despite that i was it was wonderful and i was going from westbury hotel to moving into a flat in 1986. brand new lover went big in america and i was very proud of that because we got cellos and and a flamenco guitarist so that's the extent we get for mad bad in here I will say if you're going to this book for mute, for like information on the song, it's it's really not bad, but it's a, still an interesting read.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah, it was a little disappointing if you if you wanted to learn more about the band. But it's still yeah. a good read.
0: Uh, uh if Craig Smith, if you're listening, the next the next breakdown we need after the monkeys mixography is we need the dead or alive mixography broken down. All the <laughs> all the different mixes of something in my house and save you all my kisses and all that stuff. <laughs>
2: yep start a new spreadsheet for us craig Yes. (laughs) yeah
0: that this favorite album i recommend this to a lot of people um i think i even loaded this on my my dad sends me his ipod every so often to update and add new music to i think i might have loaded this on there for him to check out so oh wow that's
1: amazing i love that
0: so uh, very cool but yeah that album came out did okay it wasn't obviously like we said, Matt, uh, that brand new level was a huge hit, but not much else. And things are kind of starting to get shaky at this point. There's a big gap, uh, between this album and the next one. In fact, I think even I, I didn't write it down, but I think rip it up came out before the next record. Am I correct on that? Yeah. What what a strange, strange little piece that, that is like to have like a, a hits compilation that early in your career. But, um, On July 17th, 1989, we get Nude by Dead or Alive.
2: So this, was, this album, this was released about a month before I went to college, and, and I think because of that, this record kind of sparks a number of different and conflicting feelings and memories for me. It's, it's a very personally complex relationship that I have with this record. Um, it's upbeat. It's very summery to me, probably because when it came out, but the sound of it is very summery, and it's full of the feeling of freedom to me. Um, it was heralded by the 12 inch for come home with me, baby. My very favorite dead or alive song of all time. And that 12 inch had me convinced that this was going to be the band's greatest album yet. It was going to be incredible. And I would never love an album more than, than I liked nude. And unfortunately the truth was none of that is true. Um, It's kind of a disappointing record. And I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Does it hold up compared to, What we have talked about so far
0: it's a step down it's definitely a step down in fact i remember prepping for this episode and i it came time to listen to nude and i was kind of kind of like um you you put certain things off sometimes like there were two albums i was (laughs) kind of putting off just because i didn't want to tear them apart and this was one of them but this Mm -hmm. was the of the two i'm referencing this one warmed up to me a little bit this time it definitely dials up the dance and it plays more like a DJ mix with all this like every track sagging into another, so there's not a lot of breathing room here. It's just like one song into the next, just keep rolling on. So it's, in a way, it's almost an exhausting listen. But I it, I put it on in the car recently, and you know what? Summary is a good word for it. I was cruising around, running errands, the sun was out, the, the album was turned up, and it just clicked with me a little more this time. I still wouldn't call it one of my favorites of theirs, but i don't think it's as bad as i had thought it was i think there's definitely some highlights here but it is very samey um tempo wise and thematically but the songs that i do like i really like
1: yeah um it is samey i like that It it is very samey and of course if you're trying to make it a a dj type album where you can play the whole thing through and dance the whole way through that's great and as much as i love dance songs and i i love tempo songs this one is just relentless with the same tempo and the same beat the whole way through. There's there's just no no break. And that's unfortunate because um I think there are good songs on here, definitely, but um but this is an album that it it is hard to listen to the whole way through and not just be like, What is that song again? I don't know. It yep and yeah. And yet, for as much as you guys think it's a summer song because of when I got a copy of this um, in the fall of 1989, I think of it as a fall album. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I could it's, see
2: that. It's very like, Sarah. You just said it's very dancey. It, it and it is obviously designed to be listened to on the dance floor. But the problem with it, I think, is that it's not the aggressive dance sound that we've expected from Dead or Alive from these last two albums. It's a cheesy kind of dance sound it maybe it's intentionally camp, but there are very few songs that I think stand up to the legacy of the last two albums.
1: Yes, it's a much lighter weight album compared to what we just got. I think that's the the word I would use. It's lightweight dance. Yeah. Um the 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 lyrics are much more throwaway. The it it's just much more it doesn't feel like as much care was taken with putting it together.
2: You don't think Pete is tackling the important issues of the day like he was on the previous. (laughs) I mean,
1: we're never going to get like, you know, deep, meaningful thoughts in in here. But I don't know. Stop kicking my heart around. It's not exactly um, world
2: changing lyrics. There's a song in here whose chorus says, get out of my house, get out of my life. Take only what's yours. Take nothing of mine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, the lyric quality is going to just continue to kind of go down, I think, as we as we <laughs> continue through this path. But um, this is where I, I think, where it starts here is just like what you know, and and I know a good song doesn't have to have good lyrics or anything, but this just gets to be, be because there's nothing else to make these songs different. It I think it just stands out more.
0: Yeah, I, I think losing saw hurt a little bit because it says on the back, produced by. All, all, sorry, all tracks arranged and pr- arranged, produced and remixed by Pete Burns and Steve Coy. So this was an in-house job, which right. can be good or bad in some cases. But I think in this case, like it, they lost their teeth. They lost their edge. It doesn't feel as dangerous as Mad Bad or Youthquake or definitely not a sophisticated boom boom. Like, like the the cat's been declawed here for sure. That's a great, great way to say it. I like that. Yeah. So they're, they're mm-hmm. Th- th- not as da- this this is definitely safe <laughs> well i don't know i could say that this is safe pete but this is um uh, <laughs> safe uh, not, music anyway yeah this this you can put this on and, and just dance to to it so yeah but in the right ra- i think it, when i'm in the right mood some of these songs just hit but other times this is this will, this is not something i will visit frequently i remember being very excited for this i got this after uh mad bad i think it was like the next one i got after that i remember popping it in just kind of being like oh oh this doesn't (laughs) this this is not what just happened the the album just ended and nothing really grabbed me that's terrible um yeah (laughs) and it was the worst worst time to do it too because like i got this i remember this very vividly i got this in the mail and my birthday was the next day i'm like oh i'm gonna like because I was taking my birthday off. I'm going to listen to this and play Nintendo 64. I'm just going to crank the album and it's going to be great. And I'm going to love this album. And I put it on and I was just like, "Ah, (laughs) that was an
2: unhappy birthday.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was, that was, that was definitely, uh, (laughs) that was definitely a bit of a downer, but yeah, I will (laughs) say my highlights. uh, I like turn around and count to 10. Um, I think come home is great. I agree with you. That's probably one of their best. Uh, Give it back is fun. Get out of my house. And I like uh, My Forbidden Lover as well.
1: did did you see that turn around and count to 10 spent 147 days at number one in japan wow. <laughs>
4: yeah God,
1: they, love that. <laughs> they loved it absolutely loved it
0: that's
2: which insane. is great for the band because they would go on for the next couple of years that's sort of their home base and that's where they're going to have their most success as we'll talk about Yep, that's right that became a safe haven for them
0: uh brian what are what are your highlights Just-
2: all right, before we get to the highlights, I just want to say I, I was pretty uh said a lot of negative things about the album there in in the intro, but there are a few songs on here that I think do hold up really really well and even back in 1989, I loved these three tracks, Come Home With Me Baby, My Forbidden Lover, and uh what's the song right before My Forbidden Lover? I cannot carry on. I cannot carry on. I cannot uh Come Home With Me Baby, I Cannot Carry On and My Forbidden Lover are all songs that to me are amazing and do hold up to the legacy of Dead or Alive. It's just that a lot of the other songs on the tape do not. Um, So I do love those songs, even to this day. I remember at the time Pete said, well, maybe not at the time, but a little bit removed from the album, Pete said something like, we produced this album for ourselves and we love it, but we sort of forgot that other people were going to be listening to it too. Uh Ah. um, that was I I, I forget where I saw that because it was years ago but I do remember that and this idea of them producing the record themselves is going to carry on for the rest of their career I think at this point in time they still had the contract with Epic Records but from this point on they're going to pay for everything themselves record it themselves and then license it in any market in the world that is looking for new Dead or Alive material that's why they're going to be on any number of record labels for the rest of their career after this one so um and one other question or one other point about turn around and count to 10 i've always found it very confusing as to who was in the band at this point in time because you just read the the liner notes uh that said all songs arranged written and produced by pete burns and steve coy right yep but then you'll see things that say like tim and uh what's his name mike Yes. (laughs) Mike Percy. Tim and Mike leave the band shortly before the re release. So, which would mean they were on the album. Like if they left shortly before the release, they should be credited as, as playing on the record. And just yesterday I was watching all the videos. And at this point, from this point in time on the videos do not help you understand who is actually in the band because they suddenly start filling the videos with casts of dozens of other people, dancers and fake musicians who are not really in the band. Um, but in this video, it happens very, very fast. Um, but you do see these. You see Pete and Steve, and you also see the other two guys. So they actually appear in the video for Turnaround and Count to Ten. So I guess they were in the band for a lot of the recording of this album.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Which really surprised me. Yeah, um, that,
1: that is shocking.
2: Because I er, early on in my life, and my Dead or Alive fandom that was to me the reason for the sound changing so drastically because those guys must have been the guys who had who were edgy but it seems like they really were there so who knows i guess they really just just wanted to change their sound but anyway my um my favorite song on here by far is come home with me baby take a trip
4: you'll never forget Yeah. <laughs>
2: Favorite Dead or Alive song of all time. Just an amazing piece of dance pop with incredible energy, fantastic lyrics, and a perfect vocal. I'm wearing the t-shirt right now of the 12-inch single sleeve. Um, It's one of the best 12-inch singles in dance floor history. If you haven't heard it, go listen to the A side of that 12-inch single, which hit number one here in the U.S., even though Top 40 radio had moved on. It was still a number one hit on the dance chart. And my best memory of that song, well, not my best memory. It's one of my worst memories of it, (laughs) but my craziest memory is one weekend in college. It was a Saturday. I remember I woke up extremely late. It was probably around lunchtime and I was hurrying to get ready to go grab some lunch. Uh, I went and took a shower, came back to my dorm room, just had my towel on, hit play on my turntable. So the the twelve inch single came in, came on. And within 15 seconds of the song starting, the door to my room just burst open. (laughs) this dude comes dancing into my room walk comes right up to me and starts dancing next to me. It was my, my neighbor across the hall, Moses, who really was only in college because he wanted to go to dance clubs. He failed out after the first semester because he only went dancing and drinking, but he loved all dance music. And as he was dancing right up against me, as I was wearing just my towel, he, he didn't know the name of the song. So he just very excitedly yelled, you got the body. I want, and (laughs) and i'm just staring at him and he's dancing like a lunatic right up against me and i said hey moses i've got to get changed so i can go to lunch can i have a second and he danced out of my room and
1: uh out of your life (laughs) yeah very shortly out of
2: my life i said get out of my house get out of my life so that's my favorite song and that's my crazy memory of that song
3: (laughs) oh man
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, he's kind of brainwashed me into, I I guess I shouldn't say that, but I've heard Come Home With Me Baby so many times because of his love for it. That it is also my favorite song on this album as well. Um, My favorite, my second favorite, I would say, is Turn Around and Count to Ten. And then my third favorite would be I Cannot Carry On. And I think that one, as we were talking before about album songs that would sound good on prior albums, I think that one is probably the one that sounds most like something that could have been on Mad, Bad and Dangerous to Know. <laughs> That's more like the classic sound that we were getting from the previous album. So I wish we had more stuff that sounded like that.
0: I'm nodding aggressively in, in agreement with
1: nodding you. Nodding aggressively, yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, before I read Pete's words, uh, you, you reminded me of something when you mentioned they were big in Japan. I read something interesting. I can't corrobor- corroborate it, but uh, the tour for this album was the only tour where... It was 90% live. The band was playing live. The only thing on tape was Pete's vocals. Are you serious? Yep.
2: That's insane.
0: Yep. And they did some shows opening for Kylie Minogue as well on this tour.
2: That's so disappointing because on the 12-inch for, um, wow, what is it? There are two 12-inch singles, both for Mad, Bad, and Dangerous Era, I think. And one of them has a, a live version of In Too Deep, and one of them has a live version of Big Daddy of the Rhythm. And they're actually doing them live. Everything is live. And they sound great. They sound different. They don't sound, you know, as well as slick and, and aggressive as the album versions, but the band could play live. I don't know why they were afraid to do it. And like, I'm sure you if you went on the YouTube um trail of Dead or Alive stuff, I'm sure you saw some like 90s. Pete performances, solo performances at clubs, where he just sort of sang along with the records. Like, yeah. I don't understand why why they did stuff like that. It it, I guess they don't care, but it it gives ammunition to your detractors who want to say like you're not a real band.
0: Yeah, I've I, I have a theory. This is my theory because like I've I've watched so many Pete interviews and stuff like that, and he talks about you know, you know, you dress yourself up and you want to be a work of art and. All that stuff. I did a little bit of his voice there. (laughs) You know, know, I walked on the street. I am a piece of art. So my theory is that the lip syncing at times or singing along to the tracks was, he probably has in his mind or had in his mind that like the fans want what they remember. They want what they love about it. They want to be exactly as they've heard it so that's what i am going to give them i'm going to dress myself up like i am on the album i'm going to it's we're going to use the album itself as our starting point i'll sing along but they'll be hearing what they're used to hearing and i'm sure and somehow in his head that's all justified not because he can't sing or not because they couldn't do it but because like that's how it works in his head like i think he even says in the book you know i never wanted to be a musician so that's probably a big part of it too but like you said mm-hmm. it is unfortunate because i've heard him sing live and it sounds great like i've heard stuff where you can actually hear his voice and it blends well so i don't I don't know i don't get it either yeah
2: and i remember how disappointing it was when i was a kid like um i would save up for like vhs releases by the bands that i love because they were at the time i think i think i remember like Tepesh mode the world we live in and live in hamburg I think that was like $24.99 for the VHS tape, Ooh. which to me, like in 1985, it took me a little while to get that much money because I remember I would go at least three weeks in a row to the record store and see it behind the counter, and I didn't yet have enough money to get it. So I bought that Dead or Alive cassette, Rip It Up Live in Japan, and I'm sure it was probably about the same, 20 25 bucks. I was so disappointed when I got home and saw that it was lip sync. Like I, I really thought I wasted my money. I just couldn't understand why they did it. But I mean looking back, I have a good time making fun of it now. I like watching it. The it's they do great versions of the song. Like like I said, Hooked on Love is the twelve inch version, so it sounds awesome and it's fun to watch Pete and the two fake guitar players <laughs> jam like they're really playing on stage, but Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 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 strange. But I, I still maintain you guys should like sit down and do some kind of like live commentary, <laughs> like like and, and do something. Although this might kill you. Take a shot every time Pete flubs up the lip sync. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh. Yeah. We would pass out.
2: <laughs> I would do that if we could find the two fake guitarists and have them guest on the episode. Oh <laughs> man. That
0: yeah. Would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to read Pete's words and there's something in here. I, it's a bit of a contradiction to what we know. But he says, Nude, produced in 1986.
1: 1986,
0: Pete. Oh, wow. Uh... So, um, okay. Was about a sen- was about the sense of loss. Give it back. Our love is mine. Baby, don't say goodbye. I cannot carry on. I didn't know, where- know that when it was coming out, it was about six years later that I realized that. It contained a lot of hurt and anger. We've all lost things, but the first real loss, the biggest thing that I've lost to that date was my mom. I hadn't just lost her physical presence; I'd lost the a battle against cancer because I, I took I, took that on as though I had cancer myself, and that's about as in depth as it gets on the album itself. But he does say, "After Nude, we left Epic. We then started to record our own records ourselves and license them out to various record companies around the world. We simply went back to where, to operating like an indie band, but the sales were considerably bigger because of the previous success, and because the album sold well." Especially in Japan, they all built up a very nice living for me. So, yeah,
2: that's he seems to... a little confused. Sorry, he <laughs> seems a little confused about that era in his writing. Even more so than ni- the the miss label of 1986. There's like two or three times where he refers to "Give It Back" and that "Love Is Mine" as two separate songs, and it's it's actually the name of one song. "Give It Back," that "Love Is Mine."
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Pete. And one last thing, this album cover. It's funny he said this was controversial and that stores didn't want to stock it. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Like, does anybody remember the Prince album "Love, Sexy"?
2: Love, right, right. Yeah, yep.
0: with the flower. Like, I don't think I think this. If anything, this is a little more uh, friendly than that. Like, we've got flowers covering things up here. And yeah, Prince, and Prince was just straight up naked. So, uh, yeah, I Pete know.
2: has a g-string on, right?
0: Yep almost yeah. naked. I do, I do love the photo of him inside. By the way, I like that. I think that's a cool shot of him.
2: Well,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, same outfit that he's wearing on the twelve-inch for uh, "Come Home with Me, Baby."
0: Yeah. So nude, bit of a transitional album, not a favorite, but an interesting release. Hey everybody, the Sly Dog jumping in here for a minute just to let you know that. Um, The episode is so big, I cut it in two. So thank you for listening to this first first part of the Dead or Alive album by album uh, two-parter. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, The next part coming out next week will cover Fan the Flame Part 1, Nucleopatra, Fragile, a few standalone singles, and Fan the Flame Part 2. So I appreciate you guys checking this out. And thanks again to Brian and Sarah for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoyed part part one. Stick around for part two. But for now, hit the music. Son of a gun! Son of a gun! Son of a gun. Thank you for listening to the sly dog music cast if you want to know what's going on follow me on twitter at sly dog music cast or facebook at sly dog music cast thanks again for listening peace love and music